Hello, and welcome back to the CMLTA podcast. Today we are celebrating the one-year anniversary of the CMLTA podcast, and I want to sincerely thank all of the dedicated MLTs who have been tuning in and who have subscribed to our podcast. I hope you have enjoyed the content from the past year, and we hope to keep bringing you interesting and relevant information to help you understand your regulatory responsibilities under the Health Professions Act. Before we get started on today's topic, I would like to remind everyone that if any of the information in these podcasts is relevant to the learning objectives you selected in your learning plan for the Continuing Competence Program, you can absolutely use listening to these podcasts as an activity in your CCP. In acknowledgement of this, we are adding both webinars and podcasts to the options available when you select Reviewed Relevant Subject Matter as your learning activity and we hope to have that change implemented in the next few months. So let's get into our podcast topic for today, which is recent changes to the Health Professions Act and other relevant legislation in the past five years. Just a reminder that all the CMLTA podcasts are intended for information purposes only, and each podcast is only applicable to current legislation, standards, codes, policies, and guidelines, all of which may change over time. So the last five years have brought forward the most changes to the Health Professions Act since its inception. The bills that introduced these changes were Bill 21, an act to protect patients, which came into force in 2019, Bill 30 and 46, which were both health statutes amendment acts, which came into force in increments between 2021 and 2023, and Bill 10, the Health Professions Protecting Women and Girls Amendment Act, which came into force in 2022. Bill 21, an act to protect patients, made changes to the Health Professions Act that prevented and addressed sexual abuse and sexual misconduct of patients by health professionals. The measures introduced affected both registration and hearings processes, as well as introduced a mandatory patient relations program. The changes also provided very clear definitions of what constitutes sexual abuse and sexual misconduct under the Health Professions Act. The main impact on registration was the introduction of mandatory submission of criminal record check. Before this time, there was no requirement to submit a criminal record check, and now all applications for registration must include this component, even if someone is reinstating their membership after a very short leave of absence, such as a parental leave. The changes from Bill 21 also increased the information required for applicants who are registered in other jurisdictions In particular, we now require more information on previous unprofessional conduct history. There were also quite a few changes to the complaints process, as described in Part 4 of the HPA, including changes to the makeup of hearing tribunals, mandatory cancellations and suspensions of permits where there are findings of sexual abuse or misconduct, and limitations on conditions that can be imposed on a member's permit with these types of complaints. In our last podcast, Complaints Part 4, the final episode, we go into great depth about these changes to the complaints process, so I highly recommend giving that episode a listen to fully understand all the changes. Bill 21 also brought forward requirements for each college under the HPA to create a standard of practice on preventing sexual abuse and sexual misconduct that included very specific definitions of who is considered a patient and for how long. We recently did a survey to gather feedback on new proposed standards of practice, and we received a few comments regarding the descriptive nature of our standard on preventing sexual abuse and misconduct, and asking whether or not it was necessary. It is important for members to know that, yes, this standard is a mandatory requirement of the Health Professions Act, and the information contained in this standard was prescribed by the Government of Alberta. 
It is extremely descriptive so that members know exactly what constitutes sexual misconduct and sexual abuse towards patients as defined by the HPA and who is considered a patient. These definitions of patient are unique to each profession as an acknowledgement of the different levels of power imbalance between patients and particular professions. For example, because of the nature of the psychologist profession and an acknowledgement that there is a lot of information disclosed to a psychologist that a patient would likely not divulge to others, psychologists have a standard that anyone who receives psychologist services is considered a patient forever. This is very different from the MLT standard that only considers someone who received professional services to be a patient for one year and also stipulates that the MLT must have knowingly contributed to that person's medical record. This is an acknowledgement of the nature of the profession as most MLTs do not have direct contact with the patients whose samples they test and analyze and often cannot remember whose records they contributed to, especially in large urban centers. One of the most unique changes from this bill was the implementation and establishment of a patient relations program. The patient relations program includes the requirement of health regulatory bodies to provide training in preventing sexual abuse and misconduct of patients and ensuring it's completed. This legislation is the reason why this information is now part of the annual jurisprudence module that all MLTs must complete at the time of application and renewal. The Patients Relations Program also requires CMLTA staff, council, and members that make up hearing tribunals and complaints review committees to receive trauma-informed training. One of the most unique changes implemented by the Patient Relations Program is that all health regulatory bodies are now responsible for funding therapy or counseling for patients who come forward with complaints of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct. Patients are eligible for this funding as soon as the complaint is submitted. The CMLTA also has a designated person to provide support to these patients, including helping them access to this funding and helping them understand how the complaints process will proceed. The second bill that brought forward changes to the Health Professions Act was Bill 30. This amendment to the HPA increased the number of public members appointed to regulatory college councils, complaints review committees, and hearing tribunals from 25% to 50%. The CMLTA Council has always been made up of 12 members. However, it used to have nine MLT members who were elected and three public members appointed by the government of Alberta. Our council now currently has six MLT elected member positions and six positions for public members appointed by the government. As the mandate of the CMLTA is public protection, additional public members were added to give Albertans a stronger voice and greater role in professional oversight. The third bill that brought forward changes to the Health Professions Act in the past five years is Bill 46, which made significant changes to not only the Health Professions Act, but also the regulations of each profession. This change was quite extensive, so I'm only going to go over the things I think are most relevant or interesting. One of the major changes is that the HPA now mandates the separation of associations and colleges. Although the CMLTA has been separated from any association for many years, the college still needed to confirm their divestment of all association activities with the government of Alberta following the enactment of this legislation. This change acknowledged that the college's mandate to protect the public through the regulation of health professionals can be in conflict with an association's mandate of promoting the profession. Colleges cannot be seen to be promoting or protecting the profession they regulate. That is the job of the association. 
The list of activities colleges cannot do include providing liability insurance, collecting fees for associations, participating in associations, offering awards to registrants to promote or recognize practice excellence, having a registered government lobbyist, supporting general or medical health research focusing on practitioner concerns, facilitating networking or social events, facilitating member interest groups, having job boards, and awarding bursaries to recognize practitioner achievement. As well, colleges cannot bring forward an application for regulation for an unregulated profession. This must be done by the profession itself or by an association representing them. Thankfully, because the CMLTA has not been an association since it came under the Health Professions Act, we had very few changes to make. Uh, The only changes we had to make were removing the job postings previously on our website, and we no longer give out awards for MLT achievement. The changes in Bill 46 also gave colleges additional authority for bylaw creation in some specific areas. These include making bylaws on the type and amount of liability insurance a regulated member is required to carry. The college also now has the authority to specify what evidence is required for good character and reputation, English English language proficiency, and Canadian citizenship or legal authority to work in Canada. Most of these bylaw changes were as a result of moving these items from the profession regulations to the bylaws. Previously, each profession had some of these requirements in their profession regulation. However, they were all very different and some colleges have requirements where others did not. This change helped fix this problem and allowed colleges to implement changes that were consistent with regulatory best practices. Another major change from this legislation is the removal of the specific continuing competence program from the profession-specific regulations and moving them into the standards of practice. Each college is now required to have their continuing competence program outlined in a standard of practice instead of in our regulations. This makes improving the continuing competence program according to relevant research and best practices much easier. Previously, these changes would require legislative change that could take many years, whereas now the program is much easier to change and improve. So as a result of these legislative changes, you can expect to see changes to our standards of practice, code of ethics, and bylaws in the next coming months. One of the changes to the standards of practice that might be surprising to you is as a result of a bill that came into force in 2022, which was Bill 10, the Health Professions Protecting Women and Girls Amendment Act. This act specifically addresses the banning of female genital mutilation, FGM, or female circumcision. All health professions must make a standard of practice ensuring that health professionals cannot perform, offer, or facilitate FGM and require them to report any other health professional they believe is participating in these activities. This requirement is for all health professions, so there will be a new standard on this in the near future. And although it is very unlikely that MLT would participate in this given the nature of the profession, we must still have a standard on this as it is a requirement under the HPA. I hope this brings some understanding and clarity to recent changes you have seen and changes you can expect to see in the near future. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at the CMLTA by emailing cmlta at cmlta.org. And as always, thank you for tuning in.